Peace be upon you. So the Quran has about 60 verses that contain the word love. Around 40 of these verses are in regards to what God loves and what God does not love. God willing wanted to look at these verses and try to get a deeper understanding of what is it that God loves. Because as believers, our utmost priority is to basically obtain God's approval and God's love. So in chapter 2 verse 195, God tells us that he loves the charitable. And in 376, it says God loves the righteous. So in order to obtain God's love, we need to be charitable and we need to be righteous. And the answer on how we can do both is in 392. It says, you cannot attain righteousness until you give to charity from the possessions you love. Whatever you give to charity, God is fully aware thereof. So as believers, if we want to be able to obtain righteousness, if we want to be able to uh, successfully give to charity, what we need to do is be able to give from the possessions that we love. And what this indicates is that we are putting God as a higher priority than the possessions that we have that we love. And it also, it's a sign of character, and it shows that we're willing to forego the material possessions of this world for the greater reward that God has uh, in store for us. And in 76.8, it reads, they donate their favorite food to the poor, the orphan, and the captive. And you think of this, that you're willing to give your favorite food, something that you would, you know, enjoy to consume yourself, you're willing to give it away for no other reason than to please God. And look at the category, it says the poor, the orphan, and the captive. And you think about the captive, this is the individual that is considered like the lowest member of society, someone that we've exiled, they've lost their freedom, and God is telling us to give our favorite food to these people. Uh, and again, it's showing that we're doing this out of sheer conviction to please God. We're not doing it for any kind of material benefit in this world. And in 2267, it says, O you who believe, you shall give to charity from the good things you earn and from what we have produced for you from the earth. Do not pick out the bad therein to give away when you yourselves do not accept it unless your eyes are closed. You should know that God is rich, praiseworthy. And it's easy, I mean, from this verse, it's easy to give away something we don't want, something that we're going to throw out. They say, you know, one person's uh, trash is another person's treasure. But as believers, we want to give away from the things that we earn, the things that we value, the things that we cherish. Because all this that we have achieved, all this that we have, is given to us by God as a loan. To see how do we use it. Do we use these, uh, these blessings that God has given us only for our own benefit, only to hoard, to keep, you know, for our own families, or are we sharing it with other people, people that we aren't related to necessarily, people that we uh, don't have direct relations with, in the sense of only being able to do it to please God? And if we can do this, God tells us that not only will we be able to successfully give to charity, but we'll also be able to attain righteousness. And this is one of the requirements to attain righteousness. And if we attain righteousness, then we attain God's love. In 24.22, it says, uh, Those among you who are blessed with resources and wealth shall be charitable towards their relatives, the poor, and those who have immigrated for the sake of God. They shall treat them with kindness and tolerance. Do not love to attain God's forgiveness. And in order to obtain God's forgiveness... This is something that we we need to do. We need to be charitable towards the relatives, the poor, and those who immigrated for the sake of God. And um, God tells us if we do this that God loves the uh, the repenters, uh, and He loves those who are clean. And what's interesting about this this correlation, and this is from chapter two, verse two hundred twenty-two, says God loves the repenters and those who are clean. 
is that when you think about cleanliness, cleanliness is not something that you do one time and you forget about. It's not like you take a shower once and you never take a shower again, or you wash your hands once and you don't wash your hands again. It's something that requires a continuous uh, reiteration. We have to continuously be doing it, continuously maintaining it. In order to maintain uh, cleanliness, it's something that you have to do on a regular basis. And same thing goes for forgiveness and charity. This isn't something that you do once in a while. Uh, you don't once in a while just repent. It's something that you do continuously. It's something that we strive for. And same thing with cleanliness. When you think about it, there's the physical cleanliness, which is obviously something that we should uh, all <laughs> maintain. But there's the spiritual cleanliness. It's the cleansing of the mind and the soul. And in 9108, it reads, God loves those who purify themselves. And in 3148, it says, God loves the good doers. And one of the things I wanted to emphasize here is the fact that it doesn't talk about, so it says to give to charity to the relatives of the poor. And this is also those who immigrated for the sake of God. In 59.9, it reads, as for those who provided uh, them with a home and a refuge and were believers before them, they loved those who immigrated to them and find no hesitation in their hearts in helping them. In fact, they readily give them priority over themselves, even when they themselves need what they give away. Indeed, those who overcome their natural stinginess are the successful ones. So as believers, we want to be able to overcome this natural stinginess. And the way that we do this is by helping people who travel in the cause of God. Someone who's been in an oppressive land, uh, who can't worship God freely, who migrates, immigrates in the cause of God. That these people we have to be able to extend to help and it's the best way to combat uh, all forms of uh, vice in this world, as opposed to going and you know fighting these uh, these dictators and these oppressive nations, is by being allowing for immigration for people who want to leave that environment, who want to worship God freely, that we help these people out. And God willing, maybe in the future podcast, it's worth doing just an entire topic on the topic of uh, 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 immigration. In 3146, it reads, God loves the steadfast. And in 3159, it says, God loved those who trust in him. And what we're seeing is that by all these things that God loves, they're interlinked, that they don't they don't rest just independently. For instance, you know, who would have thought that repentance and being clean uh, would uh, correlate, or in the sense that um, being charitable and being righteous. Uh, and in this one, it's the same thing, being steadfast and trusting in God. They come hand in hand. In order for us to be steadfast, we have to trust in God's promise, that God tells us that if we follow God's system, that if we follow God's processes that he uh, recommends, doing our contact prayers, giving our zakat, uh, giving to charity, uh, leading a righteous life, that if we do these things, that we will be successful. And irrespective of what the situation may appear, what the outcome appears to be, we have to trust in God. And if we do this, if we're steadfast and we trust in God, God is not only going to make it up to us in this world, but we're also going to be able to obtain God's love. In 513, it says God loves those who are benevolent. And in 542, it says God loves those who are equitable. And in 49.9, it reads God loves those who are just. So again, you see this kind of, uh, this, um, uh, this interlinking of you know being equitable, uh, being just, and being benevolent. Uh, it's easy to be uh, a tyrant. It's easy to be angry and mean, um, and you know giving people the not giving people the benefit of the doubt. 
but it takes real characters we saw in the previous podcast to be patient, to not be vengeful, uh, to be uh, steadfast, to pardon the people, to be forgiving. These are all characteristics that we strive to get to. And if we can do this, again, it's saying that if you can do this, if we can obtain this, then we can obtain God's love. And if you have God's love, God is the source of happiness. God is the source of forgiveness. God is the source of well-being. God provides perfect health, perfect wealth, perfect happiness. So when we have God's love, we have everything else that we can possibly want. And um, the last one that I wanted to bring up is in 61.4. It says, God loves those who fight in his cause, united in one column, like the bricks in one wall. And again, this is reflecting this unity among the believers. Uh, In 2.62 and 5.69, it says, O you who believe... The Christians, the Jews, the converts, anyone who one believes in God, two leads a righteous life, and three believes in the hereafter, will receive their recompense from their Lord. They have nothing to fear, nor will they grieve. And this is the truth, that if we unite ourselves with everyone else who, through the worship of God alone, by abandoning all forms of idol worship, all forms of uh, vanity, things that basically distract us from our true purpose in this world to worship God alone, to devote our religious practices 100% to God alone, uh, to live a moral, righteous life, that we will have no fear and no grief. And this is God's promise, and God never breaks His promise. Um, So what's interesting about this is, you know, we looked at the verses of what God loves, and just to recap, so, you know, God loves the, uh, the righteous, the charitable, uh, the repenters, those who are clean, uh, those who purify themselves, and the good doers. And he loves the uh, the steadfast, those who trust in him, the benevolent, and those who are equitable, and the just, and those who are united in one column like the bricks in one wall. So what's interesting is that we talked about this again in the previous podcast, is that in the English language, irrespective of all the different forms of love we have, for instance, I love my spouse, I love my children, I love my uh, my dog, I love my parents. Uh, Even though the love for each one of these is different, we categorize it as the word love. In Arabic, there's numerous words for the word love. And the word that God uses in the Quran uh, for the word love comes uh, is uh, hob, and it comes from the word habba, which means seed. And it's interesting to think, why did God select this word seed? A lot of people think of unconditional love, that it's something that basically, irrespective of the situation, there's this unconditional love. And God's love is not unconditional. God is giving us very specific conditions by which we can earn and obtain God's love. And if we're not willing to basically do these conditions, then we're locking ourselves out from God's love and God's grace. And this is a choice that we make ourselves. So when God selected the word seed, the way I understand this is that God has placed the seed in the heart of every single human being on this planet. Every human being that's going to come and every human being that's lived. And that seed that resides in our heart is up to us if we're going to nurture and grow to basically obtain God's love. Imagine a tree. A tree that produces good fruit for the farmer is going to be a successful tree. But if a tree produces bitter fruit, it's going to have no benefit for that farmer. And when God sent us to this world, he sent us with instinctive knowledge to worship God God freely. And he gave us the breath of life into our souls that gives us life. Now it's up to us what we do with this instinctive knowledge and what we do with this soul. In chapter 30, verse 30, it says, 
Therefore, you shall devote yourself to the religion of strict monotheism. Such is the natural instinct placed into the people by God. Such creation of God will never change. This is the perfect religion, but most people do not know. When God placed submission into our hearts, we have an active choice if we are going to devote our worship practices to God alone or not. And if we choose to, if we choose to lead a righteous life, we choose to basically implement uh, the uh, the good moral ethics that God advocates. And keep in mind, this doesn't. This is something that becomes uh, it's innate in us to be a good person. It's it's a natural tendency in us to want to be just, to treat people fairly, uh, to be uh, to be uh, a good person. Uh, they've done studies on infants, and infants, and you know, who are months old, realize that there's justice in this world. And uh, it's pretty interesting seeing the experiments that they conduct, but you see that this is a natural instinct in the human being. So when we make the decision to disbelieve, to go against our in instincts, to basically worship idols, uh, to treat people unfairly, to be unrighteous, we're going against the, the instinct that God has placed in us. And in 39.22 says, If God renders one's heart content with submission, he'll be following a light from his Lord, Therefore, woe to those whose hearts are hardened against God's message. They have gone far astray. As believers, we have to implore God. We have to implore God to open our hearts, to allow us to accept submission. Because submission is not something that you come to through just reason and logic. Because there's plenty of people out there who see all the evidence, all the, the, the proofs of God, Yet they fail to believe. It's because they have not implored God, they have not repented to God, and therefore God has not opened up their hearts. In 83.14 it says, Indeed their hearts have become shielded by their sins. When we commit sins, what we're doing is we're putting shackles on our hearts from being able to receive God's message. So irrespective of whatever proof, information, knowledge, anything that we see, it's going to be falling on deaf ears. And 46.26 is we established them in the same ways we established you and provided them with the hearing, the eyes, and the minds. But their hearing, eyes, and minds did not help them at all. This is because they decided to disregard God's revelations. Thus, the prophecies and warnings that they have ridiculed have caused their doom. And again, we see this that, you know, as a believer, when we, you know, obviously we have the hearing, the eyes, and the minds, that we're appreciative. In 1678, it says, God brought you out of your mother's bellies knowing nothing, and he gave you the hearing, the eyesight, and the brains that you may be appreciative. So, God has placed this seed into our hearts of submission. It's our duty to basically foster and grow this seed, to provide it with the right nutrients, being righteousness, repentance, charity, to grow this seed, to produce good fruit. And one of the, my favorite parables in regards to the seed that God has planted uh, in all of us comes from the Bible. It's in Matthew chapter 13, and it's entitled, Parable of the Farmer Scattering Seed. And Jesus says, so this is uh, from chapter 13, it says, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but then the plants wilted under the hot sun, and since they did not have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, 
and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as they had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teachings, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they do not really see. They hear, but they do not really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what they say, when I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and the ears cannot hear, and they are, have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. And how much of these parables, like the statement, it just corresponds perfectly with the Quran? In 7.179 of the Quran, it reads, We have committed the, to hell multitudes of jinns and humans. They have minds with which they do not understand, eyes with which they do not see, ears with which they do not hear. They are like animals, no, they are far worse, they are totally unaware. And again in 22.46 says, Did they not roam the earth, then use their minds to understand and use their ears to hear? Indeed, the real blindness is not the blindness of the eyes, but the blindness of the hearts inside the chest. And you see how this, again, it's this blindness of the hearts inside the chest. That God has put this, this seed into our hearts. And if we choose to not take heed, if we choose not to live a righteous life, the consequences of that is that our hearts are going to be shielded from the message. That irrespective of all the proofs, all the understanding, all the teachings that we receive, we're not going to be able to understand. In 821 it says, Do not be like those who say we hear when they do not hear. The worst creatures in the sight of God are the deaf and dumb who do not understand. Had God known of any good in them, He would have made them hearers. Even if He made them hearers, they still would turn away in aversion. So the parable in... Uh, Chapter 13, verse 16, it continues from the Bible. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those whose God's word, who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as they had been planted. And again, you see this perfect correlation 
with these verses from Jesus' parable in the Quran. Jesus talks about those who basically, let's see, what's the first one? It says, blessed are those. Uh, they longed to hear, but they didn't hear. And we read about those verses. In chapter 2, verse 265, it says, The example of those who give their money seeking God's pleasure out of sincere conviction is that of a garden on high fertile soil. When heavy rain falls, it gives twice as much crop. If heavy rain is not available, a drizzle will suffice. God is seer of everything you do. And you see how that corresponds perfectly with, it says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear the uh, and understand God's word. That if you have the slightest bit of good in any of us, that God will bring it out. That all it will take is a drizzle of God's proof, of God's message. And that's all it's going to take to open up our hearts. Uh, we see that uh, in another example, it says the, the seed on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And God tells us about the fair weather friends in chapter 29.10. It says, among the people, there are those who say, we believe in God. But as soon as they suffer any hardship because of God, they equate the people's persecution with God's retribution. But if blessings from your Lord come your way, they say we were with you. Is God not fully aware of the people's innermost thoughts? And you th uh, what this is saying is that these are people who believe, but then the second that they suffer persecution, they equate the people's persecution with God's retribution and they, stead and they, they revert back as opposed to being steadfast, as opposed to trusting in God. God tells us about the, uh, the individuals who uh, they have no, no roots. Um, let's see if I can find that one again. It says, no roots. Yeah, so uh, 20, uh, this is uh, Matthew 13, 20. It says, the seed on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they have no deep roots. And twice in the Quran, we hear about people who have no deep roots. One is in chapter 63, verse 4, when it's talking about the hypocrites. It says, when they see you, you may be impressed by their looks, and when they speak, you may listen to their eloquence. They are like standing logs. You know, standing logs, it has no roots. They think that every call is intended against them. These are the real enemies. Beware of them. God condemns them. They have deviated. Without strong roots, without a foundation, it's easy to be toppled over. In uh, the Quran in 1424 through 26, it talks about truth versus falsehood. It says, Do not see that God has cited the example of the good word as a good tree whose root is firmly fixed and its branches are high in the sky. It produces its crop every season as designed by its Lord. God thus cites the examples of people that they may take heed. And the example of the bad word is that of a bad tree chopped at the soil level. It has no roots to keep it standing. And this is the, 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 the problem with people, with individuals who basically come into the message but don't have those deep roots, that deep understanding. Because the second that they face any kind of persecution, hardship, uh, confrontation, they revert. And this is something that as believers, by doing the good deeds that God recommends for us, it's going to grow our understanding because God is the one who provides us with the right understanding. God is the one who allows us to see the right understanding. The next parable is also from Jesus. It's in the same chapter, uh, and it's the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And the correlation between this parable and the verses that we read is very striking. It starts, it says, here's another story Jesus told. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You will uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the, in the barn. So the same thing is happening in this world. God produced all the seeds in this world. And some people, they turn into to weeds. What ends up happening is as opposed to uprooting these individuals, God is allowing all of us to grow. And on the day of judgment, when all our good deeds are going to be brought before us, God is going to sort us out between the believers and the disbelievers. And God tells us in chapter 79, verse 1 and 2, it talks about the title of the chapter is called The Snatchers. It says, The angels who snatch the souls of the disbelievers forcibly, and those who gently take the souls of the believers joyfully. And you think of this, as we grow and develop our souls, and if you take the example, the parable that, you know, our bodies, our souls are producing fruit. That fruit is our good deeds. When a fruit is ripe, it comes right off the vine. And if a fruit is not ripe, you have to tug at it and pull it out. And it's the same thing that we see that the people who lead a righteous life at the time of death, they'll easily let go of their bodies because they've fully grown and developed their soul. Someone who has not grown and developed their soul at the time of death is going to be clenched onto their body, this physical asset, and thinking that by letting go of this that they're lost. In 693, it says, Who is more evil than one who fabricates lies and attributes them to God? Or say, I've received divine inspiration when no such inspiration was given to him. Or says, I can write the same as God's revelations. If only you could see the transgressors at the time of death. The angels extend their hands to them, saying, Let go of your souls. Today you have incurred shameful retribution for saying about God other than the truth, and for being too arrogant to accept his revelations. And to continue on, in chapter 75, verse 21 through 35, we read about the individuals that at the time of death, what happens to them, that they basically, because they haven't grown and developed their soul, that they're so attached to this physical world, that they're going to have real difficulty coping with the hereafter. It says, indeed, you love this fleeting life while disregarding the hereafter. Some faces on that day will be happy looking at their Lord. Other faces will be on that day miserable, expecting the worst. Indeed, when the soul reaches the throat and is ordered let go, he knows it is the end. Each leg will lay motionless next to the other leg. To your Lord on that day is the summoning. For he observed neither the charity nor the contact for Salah, but he disbelieved and turned away. With his family he acted arrogantly. You have deserved this. Indeed, you have deserved this. And to stick with the parable about the wheat and the wheat uh, and how God is going to basically gather both and have them sorted and then take the wheat um, and put that into heaven and the wheat, uh, weed and put that into the uh, into hell. And in 837 of the Quran, it reads, God will sift away the bad from the good, then pile the bad on top of each other, all in one pile, then throw it in hell. Such are the losers. So you're seeing just how closely correlated these two um, 
the, the verses from the Bible are with the Quran. And to end, inshallah, I just got a couple more verses. This is from 824. It says, O you who believe, you shall respond to God and to the Messenger when he invites to you to what gives you life. You should know that God is closer to you than your heart and that before him you will be summoned. And in 1328, it says, They are the ones whose hearts rejoice in remembering God. Absolutely, by remembering God, the hearts rejoice. So God willing, going to end there. If you guys got any comments or questions, hit us up at Talk at gmail.com or on Twitter at TalkQuran. And uh, check out our Quran study notes at QuranStudy19.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.